Let me ask you a question as we wrap up this series. What's the most exciting thing that's happened to you this past year? Just think about it. Get it in your mind. I know some of you are like, if you're telling me to think about the most exciting thing, I'm going to think about the worst thing. Well, you know, be like that if you want. Um, you know who I'm talking to. Um, but think about the most exciting thing that's happened to you this year. It doesn't have to revolve around faith, your relationship with God. Uh, it doesn't have to be spiritual in nature. It could be a job that you finally got, a promotion that you were looking for, a pay raise. Maybe you got engaged. Maybe you had a child. Maybe you bought a house. Um, maybe... Maybe, just maybe, you got tickets to T-Swizzle, and uh, about three of you know who that is, and uh, I don't even know if that's her nickname anymore, and some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Taylor Swift, you know, she broke the, the ticket master. They couldn't sell her tickets, and so you got tickets to Taylor Swift, and you're like, this is fantastic. By the way, if you didn't get tickets to Taylor Swift, um, we still have tickets for our concert here. <laughs> it's about the same. No, uh, <laughs> We do have tickets, and it'll be a lot of fun. But, um, you know, whatever it is, did something great, something exciting happen? Now, let me ask you a follow-up question. If you have that, that thing, that, that exciting thing that happened to you this past year in your mind, let me ask you, did you tell anybody about it? Did you share it with anyone? In person, on social media, text them, give them a call. Somehow or other, did you share your good news with someone else? My guess is that you did. Odds are that you did. However, whoever studies these things have uh, determined that when something good happens to us, we share it on average with 7.4 people. That doesn't count social because on social you can share it with your tens of thousands of followers instantaneous. But person to person, direct contact, 7.4 people. Actually, 7.44 people. Now, what is a .44 person? I don't know. But I think you'll know come Thanksgiving. So you'll be sitting at Thanksgiving, and you'll share something exciting that happens to you. And you're three-quarters of the way through the story. And then that one person goes, oh, wait, wait, what happened? What, what were you talking about? That's the .44 person. They're like, and then you just say, forget it. Um, you know, I'm not going to retell the whole story. Oh, come on. And then everyone's upset, and Christmas and Thanksgiving are ruined, and it's just a disaster. But... Be that as it may, if you're a .44 person, just shake your head and say, that's great. What did they say? Um, but we share good news. We're designed to share good news. We want to share good news. And there's two reasons primarily why we share good news. One is because in the telling of what happened, we relive that emotion, that thrill of the moment. It, it just kind of comes back to us. The second thing is by sharing what happened and what, what we felt, we're inviting people to share that experience with us. We want them to feel what we felt at that moment. And so we share good news with people. We're designed to share good news with people because we're made in God's image. And God shares good news with us all the time. In the book of Genesis, God created everything. Day after day, he looked and said it was good. And when he was all done, he created everything. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God looked and said, it is very good. He declares it. He tells us the goodness of his creation. Uh, we're about to go into the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, when Jesus was born, God sent messengers. He sent angels. And he sent these angels, these messengers, to these shepherds up on a hillside. And the, and the angels said to the shepherds, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So God loves to share good news. We're made in God's image. We're designed to share good news, not to gloat, 
not to rub it in, not to say, look what I got and you didn't get, but because we, uh, there's something inside of us that says this was exciting and we want to share it. And yet, when it comes to sharing the good news of our faith in Jesus Christ, what we claim is the greatest news in human history, the most compelling expression of love ever demonstrated, we're hesitant to share. Something holds us back. See, so many of us want the blessing of being in a relationship with God, but we don't want the responsibility. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you don't share your faith, then you're missing the point. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, to the Christians in Rome. I have a responsibility, both to Greeks and those who don't speak Greek, to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm ready to proclaim the good news to you who are in Rome. So Paul is right. He says, I have a responsibility. But this is a transcendent truth. This truth is meant to be applied to us. So what that means for you and for me is this. You have a responsibility to share the good news. It's not an option. It's not, well, if I feel like it, I will. But if I don't, I won't. I mean, it's, it's, it's for somebody else. It's your responsibility. And yet, we're hesitant to do it. Something holds us back. I believe probably what holds us back are one of two things. One is either we're worried that if we share the good news, if we share the reason we have faith, if we talk about Jesus, we're worried that people will turn their back on the gospel message, and even worse, they'll turn their back on us. They'll reject us, they won't want anything to do with us or our Jesus, and they'll leave us behind. Or, and this may be more apt, I think, is that really, deep in our minds, the places where we don't really voice these things, we don't talk about it, but it's there, we don't really believe that it's good news. We believe it's important. We believe it's life-changing. We believe it's eternity-shaping. But we don't really believe it's good because it really doesn't seem like it's made our lives better. We secretly think, maybe my life would be better if I wasn't a follower of Jesus. So it's not really that good, and because it's not that good, why would I tell anybody about it? Now, I know none of you consciously think that, because then you feel like you're a really, 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 really bad Christian, but I think that's why a lot of us don't share our faith in Jesus. So I want to tackle these two things. Either we fear, we fear that people will reject us or the gospel message, or we're not really sure that it's really that good. So Let's start with that. If we don't think it's that good, I believe it's because we don't understand what the gospel is all about. So let's start with this. The good news, the gospel, is good for the here and now. So when I say good news, it can be translated, and often is in the Bible, the word gospel. It can be translated good news. It just means this is the big headline. So here's the big headline. Jesus came to give us the ability to be in a right relationship with God. See, God looked down at, at humanity, and we were a mess. And he said, no matter what they do, they can never live in such a way that's going to be a true reflection of my holiness. No matter how hard they try, no matter how many rules I tell them to follow, they're never going to be able to accurately reflect my holiness. And because they can't do it, I can't be in a, in a loving relationship with them because they keep rejecting me. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in the form, in the person of my son, Jesus Christ, 
And so Jesus was born, and he lived as a perfect reflection of God's holiness. He never sinned. He never messed up. He never made a mistake. He never uh, damaged uh, anyone or anything. He lived in a perfect reflection of God's holiness. So he didn't have to die because you only die because of sin. And because he never sinned, he didn't have to die. But he willingly died. And so he was tortured and beaten and crucified and laid in a tomb. And for three days, he was dead. But on the third day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead. And now he's in heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And because of that, if we believe in that good news, that God said, I want you to be in relationship with me, and here's how. Simply accept the gift that I sent through Jesus. And come into that, and you'll be in relationship with me. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get right. All you have to do is believe and allow me to do a work in you through the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I will send to fill you. And if I could raise him physically, I can restore you spiritually and emotionally and make you alive in those areas of your life that you feel like are so dead. So that's the good news in a nutshell. But sometimes we only, oh, and then, oh, oh, I guess that's not in a nutshell. Some of you are thinking, wait, what about heaven? Yeah, see, that is the, that's the cherry on the top. You do all that, you have all that, you believe all that, you have this experience here on earth, and then when life ends, you step from the temporal into the eternal, and you have a place in God's home where you'll always be with him perfectly, fully known, and you'll fully know. But oftentimes, that last part that I just kind of mentioned, that's the only part we talk about. If you die today... Will you go to heaven? If you don't wake up tomorrow, will you be in relationship with God? Will you be in heaven or will you spend eternity separated from God? We almost make it sound like the gospel is only for then. It's all back-end loaded. It really has nothing to do with life here on earth. It has all to do with the then and there, not the here and now. But that's, at least that's for me, the way I kind of always understood the gospel growing up. The good news, it was all like, okay, just kind of get through life and, you know, stumble through. And, and, uh, but, you know, heaven's waiting. But that's not the gospel that Jesus presented. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here it is. The time has come. It's now. It's here. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. So what Jesus is saying in the picture he masterfully paints is that, yes, there is a yet-to-comeness of the gospel, of the good news. But there is a nowness of the gospel. It's meant to transform our lives now, to, to change us, to make us different. It's not just hold on for heaven. It's no matter what life throws at you, no matter what you go through, God has come near. He'll be with you. He'll walk through you, with you through the good times and the bad times, and your life can be changed because of your relationship with God. Not because you try really, really hard to be good, but because he works to transform you from the inside out. So is there a yet-to-comeness? Yes, of the gospel, absolutely. But there is a nearness, a nowness of the gospel. Think about it. Like, have you ever gone to a, a fancy uh, banquet or a wedding or anything like that, right? And you go in, and they got the hors d'oeuvres. 
And before the meal, you, I mean, if you're like me, I'm like, I don't know if a meal's coming, so I'm just going to stuff myself full of hors d'oeuvres. And then, then you sit down and they have the meal and you're like, oh, Jesus, help me. Well, you know, the gospel is meant to be experienced now. It's like the hors d'oeuvres and you're supposed to fill your mouth and your stomach and your life with the goodness of God now. And when you get to heaven, you'll be like, oh, Jesus, this is even better. But so often we miss that. So here's what the good news now means. The good news now means living a radically different life because of Jesus's radical love. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes in and he changes you from the inside out. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that God wants to have in your life now. Things like more peace in your relationships, greater love, being able to forgive, finding a way to set aside your racist ideas, the ethnic divides that we've established, seeking justice, caring for the most vulnerable, caring for the widows and the orphans. Those are the things that God wants for us to experience now. There's a nowness to the gospel. And yet, we so often leave that out. What, what do we see? I mean, it seems like there's people who will say, hey, listen, when you're eight years old, you prayed this prayer. So now you can hate your neighbors. You can live with your racist ideology. You can look down on people. You can walk in, in anger. You can, uh, you can lash out in hate. You can do all those things, and it's fine because when you're eight, you prayed a prayer, and everything's good with Jesus forever. And when you, get to, you know, when you die, then you get to go to heaven. But that doesn't sound like the good news now. That just sounds like something maybe will come later. And so then you go to someone and you say, listen, I know your life is really hard and it's really difficult and, and you're struggling and your marriage is falling apart and you don't have much of a relationship with your kids and you're kind of selfish and, and you're living for self, but you know, that's all fine. Just believe in God and you'll go to heaven. And there, you know, because if you die, if you don't wake up tomorrow, where are you going to spend eternity? But here's the problem. What if they do wake up tomorrow? How do they make it through life tomorrow and the, and the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that? If you say the gospel is just for the then and there and not for the here and now, we miss the point. The goodness of God is meant, and the gospel, the good news of God is that we can experience radical life change now and we can live in relationship with God every day of our lives now, eating the hors d'oeuvres, waiting for the main course. So we have to understand that because if you don't grasp that, it is so incredibly difficult to say, I've got good news to tell you. So the good news is for here and now. The next thing is this. The good news is good for you. It's good for you. Listen, when I was growing up, people would say, you got to tell people about Jesus. And I'm like, I don't tell. It doesn't sound really good. There wasn't a lot of joy in, in this whole Christian thing. It was more like a drudgery than delight. It was more like work than worship. It was more like a job than joy. It was like, follow the rules. Don't do this. Don't say that. Don't go here. Don't go there. You can only, you can never, when, if. So it was like, how is there joy in this? How am I supposed to say, man, this is so good. This is life-changing. God has changed me. It felt to me like being a Christian was more about following the rules than about being transformed. But when I understood that the good news is meant that it's good for me, it's meant to change my life here, but I didn't understand that. So I wrestled with this question, and maybe you have as well. And here it is. Is it good to be a Christian, or is being a Christian simply about being good? 
Is it simply about just following the rules? I don't have time. We could go into the whole, in Colossians uh, chapter 2, it talks about stop making it about all these rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that. Deny yourself this, deny yourself that. That's not freedom in Christ. That's, that's, that's drudgery. That's not life. You might slip into heaven, but man, you miss the fullness of life here on earth. So often we do that with our kids as parents. Don't do this. Don't say that. Stop, stop, stop. That. No, 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 no. And listen, there's times you have to tell a kid, no, please, I understand that that's a reality. You can't say take the knife and run and, you know, if you, take a, if you lose an eye, it's okay. You'll learn a lesson. You know, there's times to say no. I understand that. But you know what? We ought to say to our kids more often, oh, experience the fullness, the richness, the joy of life. Explore, have fun, laugh, play. Learn to express your emotions. There's a fullness of life, and you ought to experience all of that. Why do I say that? Because this is what Jesus said. This is what he said. He said, I have come in order that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. Jesus says, I want you to experience a rich, full, abundant life, not just simply following the rules. I want you to experience something more. I want you to walk around and be dispensers of grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. I want your relationships to be deep. I want your marriages to be life-giving. I want you to learn to experience wanting less so you can give more, that you can be content with what you have. I want you to experience a rich, full life that makes a difference in the hearts and lives of other people. I want you to laugh and have fun. I don't simply want you to walk around saying, I followed all the rules, and you better too, because if you don't follow the rules, well, you don't want to waste, we say that, because if you don't follow the rules, and I wasted my life following the rules, so you better be as miserable as I am. God doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to be joyful. Does that mean that we, it means we say, God, I don't, Jesus kept the law perfectly so we don't have to. You understand that? So he says, come to me. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself right. Come to me, however you are, and you know what I'll do? I'll clean you up. I'll change you. I'll transform you. I'll make you right. So have joy. I know some of you are thinking, I don't have that kind of joy. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, it just means you're not experiencing all the fullness that this life has to offer. You've probably made it about following all the rules, and it's so difficult to tell someone, I've got good news to share. If you follow the rules and you live a miserable life, well, you might just get to heaven too. That doesn't sound like good news. Some of you are like it does to me. Um, you go, go to Thanksgiving camp out. Uh, you'll have fun. No, no. here's the thing. Here's the thing, and, and all honestly. If you don't feel like you're experiencing that fullness, here's my challenge to you. This week, I just challenge you. Have joy. Have joy at the Thanksgiving meal. Laugh. Laugh at yourself. Having a sense of humor is know, knowing what's funny about you. So you'd said something Go goofy or stupid you did something weird well, just laugh at yourself go to listen i understand as you get older you can't quite indulge in the thanksgiving meal as you would like to but have have the extra turkey have the extra mashed potatoes enjoy celebrate laugh have indigestion that night it's okay buy tums but laugh have fun somebody says let's set up the christmas tree and it's the day before thanksgiving you know what you can say yes don't really say yes. 
No, laugh, celebrate, have fun, experience the fullness that life has. Stop making it. You can only do this, then, when, how, when, if, if, oh, no, no. That's not how God wants you to live. And it's very, very difficult to say, listen, this is the greatest life you can experience. And you're walking around looking like you're sucking on lemons. So the good news is good for here and now. The good news is good for you. And here's the last part. The good news is good for everyone. It means that somehow or other, people need to see in us the transformative work of God. I told you it's like a game of show and tell. They have to look at your life and say, I see something different. I remember you. You used to be angry all the time. You used to use language and talk about people and say things about people that were mean. And now you're different. You used to be in bondage to drugs and alcohol, and and you're completely different. You don't even look the same. Your marriage used to be awful. I, I always felt bad for your husband to be married to you. But now, man, what has God done to you? What, they might not even say God. They're just going to say, what happened to you? But they've seen something different in your life. And because they've seen it, now you have an opportunity to tell them. You, you have this moment where you could say, let me tell you why. But sharing our faith is probably one of the most countercultural things we could do, especially in our day and time. Why? <clears throat> Why? Because our society, our culture, uh, has abandoned the idea of, of absolute transcendent truth, that, that there is fixed truth. Truth is fluid in our culture. And so here's the problem. As a Christian... As someone who has faith, as somebody who believes in a fixed truth, you will come across as possibly intolerant, unloving. Because you're saying there's a truth above all truths. There's a belief system above all belief systems. There's a story above every story. There's a, there's a God, a king above every king, and his name is Jesus. And so we can feel like if I share my faith, I'm going to run people off. And so we retreat to the shadows and think, I just won't share, share my faith. I won't tell people about my faith. And listen to me, showing people who God is through your changed life is imperative. If, if your life isn't changed, then you come across as inconsistent. You lack credibility. You look like a hypocrite. Come to Jesus, he'll change you, and then you're smacking your spouse around. That doesn't ring true. So you need to be changed from the inside out, but at some point, it's not an option as a follower of Christ to say, I'm just going to show my faith through my life. There's a, a, a quote, it's misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He didn't say this, but people say it all the time. Preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words. He didn't say that, and the problem is, yes, we need to preach the gospel always with how we live our lives, and we need to be willing to use our words. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, make the most of your chances. There are people who don't know who Jesus is. Don't miss those opportunities to show them the, oh, no. What is that word? To what? Okay, one of you can read. <laughs> make the most of your chances to what? Tell others the good news. Be wise in your contacts with them. It's not enough to simply say, oh, look, my life's different. It ought to be different, and that ought to be the showing part, but there has to be the telling part. At some point, we have to be willing to say, look at what God has done 
in my life. Let me tell you about it. And yet, we're so resident to do that. We just, oh, I, I, just, I don't know. But we have to be willing to engage with people, to tell them about the good news. So this is what it says in Isaiah. It says, how wonderful it is to see a messenger. How amazing it is when you see someone whose life has been radically transformed by the love of Jesus, by his radical love, his grace, his mercy, his Holy Spirit. It is amazing. It's wonderful. You see that, and it ought to inspire you. When they come across the mountains, when they cross into your life, when you see them living a transformed life, it's wonderful. Why? Because they are bringing the good news, the news of peace, telling people, announcing salvation, saying to Zion, your God is king. Your life can be different if you make God your king. You've seen it in me. I'm this messenger, and you've seen this changed life, and let me tell you why. So in other words, the good news is meant to be seen and heard. You can't just think, if they see me changed, it will be enough. It never, never, ever will be enough because it's not how we share news in any other aspect of our life, is it? Right? You, you, get, um, you get good news. Okay, we got some grandpas here. I'm one of them. So you say, look, I just had a new grandchild. And you tell people, right? I just had a new grandchild. And then what do you do? You pull your phone out? used to be your wallet, but now you pull your phone out and you go, let me show you. And then the grandma goes, no, no, show them the other ones. And then you keep going, <laughs> right? Because we, we don't just tell people we had a grandson or a grandchild or a granddaughter or a new in-law or a new outlaw, whatever it is. We don't just tell them that. We show them that. Right? You get a new house. What do you do? Oh, I bought a new house. You need to come over and see it. And we take people through a tour of the house. Look, this is the closet. I've never seen one of those before. Look, that's the toilet. Wow. Well, we, because we're excited. You win the championship game. My son just played on a football team. They went undefeated. They won the championship game. And he, let me tell you, we just won. And then he's like, can we find the video and show that play? Uh, yes. We'll find the video, watch the play. Why? Because we don't want to just tell people. We want to show them. So people see your life radically changed by the grace of Jesus. At some point, you have to say, let me tell you why. It's, it's the model that Jesus showed. Think about a jet plane, right? What do you need? I mean, there's a lot of things you need for it to fly. But you need wings and, and engines. If you've got an engine and no wings, you don't get lift. If you have wings and no engine, you just sit there. You have to show and tell us what Jesus did, right? Jesus would interact with people. He'd say, I fed you. Let me explain why. I healed you, and here's why. I poured out forgiveness and grace in a moment when you should have received death and condemnation. Now, here's why. I loved you. I gave my life up for you. I served you. I washed your feet. I healed you. I was there for you. I walked with you. I was compassionate with you. Now, here's why? Jesus never gave a demonstration of the power of God's kingdom without also giving an explanation of what that meant to the people that saw it. He would show and tell, and we're meant to do that as well. So Jesus shares this story at one point about a, 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 this banquet that's being thrown, and a lot of people don't show up, but he's 
represented by the master of this banquet. And he says to his servant, uh, I want a lot of people here and people haven't shown up. So this is what I want you to do. Here's what it says. It says, the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the back alleys and compel people to come in so that my house will be filled. I want a full house. As Reinhard Bunke said, our job, our responsibility is to plunder hell and populate heaven. We have a responsibility, and it's the greatest responsibility we have to tell people about Jesus through our life and through our words by seeing a changed life and telling them about it. In other words, if you know Jesus, then you owe Jesus to others. If you're a servant of the master, it means you know him. You've come into relationship with him. You know him. You've surrendered your life to him, and you said, my life is no longer my own. And because of that, because you know Jesus, you owe Jesus to others. And another part in the Bible, it says your life has been hidden in Christ. If your life is hidden in Christ, you have a responsibility to reveal the life of Christ to others. You have that God-given response. It is the greatest responsibility that you have. You have a greater responsibility to share your faith than you do to your political party, than to your country. You have a greater responsibility than making sure you vote, but I think you should vote. You should vote in local elections, statewide elections, and federal elections, but that's not your greatest responsibility. Your greatest responsibility is if you know Jesus, to make him known, to make him known to others. You have a greater responsibility to that than you do to your marriage, to anything. Because Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and have a really great marriage. Although he wants you to have a really great marriage. He didn't say go into all the world and make sure you love your kids well. Well, he wants you to love your kids well. He didn't say go into all the world and vote whatever party you think shouldn't be in power because none of them should. Uh, he didn't say that, although you should vote. He, did, he said go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is what he tells us to do. Go into every area and compel them to come. So it means you have to invest and invite. You have to go and know. You have to show and tell. Jesus tells another story. He says there, there's this shepherd, there's this person, and they own a hundred sheep. And if any of you own a hundred sheep, what would you do if one of them wandered off? You would leave the 99 and go after the one sheep that was left, that, that had wandered off. And that's what he wants us to do. To say, if there's someone who's wandered away, I will go, I will find them. I don't care where they went. I don't care how far they've gone. I am going to find a way with everything in me to compel them to come. That's your responsibility. But it means being willing to say, I will do anything short of sinning. Anything short of violating God's holiness to find a way to compel them to come. It means being willing to say, I will go. Not I can't. I can't go there. I can't go to them. I can't talk to those people. I can't go to that business. I can't go to that type of wedding. I can't go to those places. Therefore, I have no responsibility. You have the greatest responsibility God has ever given to go anywhere to reach that one person. So the question is, who is your one? Who's that one person that you say, I am going to do everything I can do 
to find them, to reach them, to show them God's grace, love, and compassion, his gentleness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his acceptance. But they're not living the way I want. Invite them in anyway. But they're not doing the things I want. Extend grace anyway. But they're not ordering their life the way I want. Help them anyway. And then, with tears in your eyes and love in your voice, say, I did this for you because Jesus did it for me. And then allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, to draw them in. You say, I've done all that. I've tried. They rejected me. Then here's the thing. Then you need to let them go. God, I'm trusting them into your hands. And that this one is no longer my responsibility, but that you'll send someone else. And then pursue the next one. And pursue the next one. The one thing you can't do is throw them over your shoulder and drag them to Jesus, kicking and screaming. But you can do everything short of that to say, come, come, come. Let me tell you about Jesus. So right now, just close your eyes and identify in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own thoughts, who is that one? Who's that one person? That they need to know that the good news isn't just for the life to come, but it's for the here and now. And that it is good for them because it's good for you and because it's good for everyone. So just identify that person and just begin to pray for them right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and God, I ask by your grace, show us, reveal ways to us that we can intersect our lives with theirs, and we can reach them and tell them, we can show them who you are, what you've done for us. Now, as you're praying, there might be someone here this morning who would say, I need to receive that I feel like that person. I never knew the good news was for here and now. And I certainly never knew it was for me. I thought it was for everyone else. I didn't know it was for everyone. But you're here because someone brought you. This is, you are there one and you're here. And this is that moment when God says, I want you to understand my grace in your life. You don't have to change anything. Let me change you. You don't have to surrender anything except your life. And then let me radically transform you. All you have to do is receive my grace and forgiveness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, and you'll be saved. And then the Holy Spirit will begin to change you from the inside out. So if that's you, if you say, I want to give my life to Jesus here this morning, I want to surrender, I want to experience that fullness of life. Just right where you are, raise your hand. If you're joining us online, click the button that says, I want to give my life to Jesus. Now, if everyone that's been praying for their one person, that one person, that one person, you'll stop praying and pray with us for whoever the one person right now is that may be surrendering their life. So if everyone, whether you raised your hand or not, if you click the button online or not, if everyone would repeat these words after me, but if you're praying them and you mean them, you're entering into a whole new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So just say these words after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my sins, the way I've hurt others, the way I've hurt myself, and the way I've hurt you. I give you my life and I receive new life in Christ. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I could live for you. I could tell others about you. And my life would be changed by you. And God, I pray that when I leave this earth, I will stand with you in heaven. Because of your grace, 
and because of your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, welcome to God's family. It is an exciting time, but it doesn't end here. We want to celebrate with you and help you take your next steps on this new journey. So as our service concludes here in a few minutes, please come forward. Let someone encourage you, uh, help you take those next steps, get some things into your hands so that you can be successful. If you prayed that prayer online, just click the follow up with us button so we can help you as well because your walk with Christ, this faith journey is not meant to be walked alone. But now if everyone would stand to their feet, we're just going to continue to celebrate who God is through some song. But if you're carrying a burden for that one, that one person, that's a burden you're not meant to carry alone. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you know that one, that one name, that one person, as this song is played, we're going to have prayer teams up here. Come and pray with them. Let them join their faith with your faith so that this Christmas, this Thanksgiving, this holiday season, they would see a change in your life. And you would have the boldness and the opportunity to tell them why. So there's going to be prayer teams here. Let them pray with you for that or anything else that you might need prayer about here this morning.